The Nonprofit Happy Hour. A weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Rachel Miller-Howard. On today's show, we're joined by Georgia McGinnis-Roberts, who is a program manager for CASA, or Court Appointed Special Advocates. The organization's 27th annual auction is tonight, Friday, April 6th, at the Portland Art Museum. You can find tickets at casahelpskids.org.
This is Phil Bussey on the Nonprofit Happy Hour. I'm joined today by uh, Georgia McGinnis Roberts, who is a program manager with CASA. How are I, you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's start by explaining what CASA is. Court appointed. Court appointed special advocates. You know, and I, I worked as a juvie uh, attorney for for a couple years down in the Oakland area. So, so okay. I, I, I did yeah. know who CASA was. I, I, I just <laughs> never quite knew what it stood for, I think. So primarily CASA works with dependency cases. Is that correct? Right, right. So we work with children that um, have come to the court because they um, have been abused or neglected. And maybe maybe a good place to start is is with the beginning of CASA. I, I did not realize it started in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was it was started by uh, Judge Sokup, I think in the late nineteen seventies. And he had started it as just a um, he saw a lot of juvenile cases and was really just feeling like, you know, he was going home and wasn't sleeping at night because he really wasn't getting um the information that he needed to make informed decisions. And so as as the story goes, he uh, called a, like a brown bag lunch meeting of folks to just say, who'd like to volunteer and help me out, not really knowing um, what would result of that. And about 50 people showed up and then the CASA program was born and we're actually um, a national program now. We're in um, every almost every state um, in the U.S. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, it seems in some ways like such an obvious solution. Um, you have uh, youth, uh, any, 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 you know, from any age who don't have any representation and they do need somebody who mm -hmm. understands the court system, whether that means just knowing some of the language, knowing the procedures, mm -hmm. uh, knowing even just uh, how to address the judge properly really right. can change the tenor. Right, right. And I think... Um, one of the great things about CASA is it's it's really a grass, it's the perfect example of, of kind of a grassroots organization. And it's, it's unique in that it's the only place in the judicial system where citizen volunteers are trained and actually get to be a legal party in the case, which gives them enormous authority in the case to speak to the child's needs. And... Um, really only be focused on the child and their best interest. And so talk me through the process a little bit. Well, first off, each volunteer, what, what sort of caseload does he or she carry? So I think that's another unique aspect to the CASA role is that obviously the, the child welfare system is very overburdened. Um, the typical caseworker will have, um, at least in the state of Oregon, up to 15 to 25 cases, a case as a family. So that could be, you know, up to 30 to 40 kids on a caseload. Um, if you look at juvenile attorneys who represent children, they can have upwards of 100 cases. So the, the uniqueness of the CASA role is that CASAs um, are one CASA for one child or one family. So that gives them a lot of time to really focus and make sure that um, a child's needs aren't being ignored in an, a very overburdened system. And and so the CASA uh, person, or the CASA representative, uh, is going to meet with the child and, and sits down, gets to know them? Yeah, yeah. So 
um, CASAs um, meet with their child. You know, they really get to know them, kind of get a baseline for their personality, what their needs are. Um, but CASAs go far above and beyond that. Obviously, there's the importance of the personal relationship that they have for the child, but they also speak to everyone who's important to the child, to the foster parents, caseworkers, attorneys, um, any of the service providers or school that the child might have to really get a 360-degree picture of what's going on for that child and to to portray to the judge, um, you know, what are the unique needs of this child. And and explain a bit how a uh, child ends up here. So typically um, a, a case comes in because there's been a hotline call of abuse or neglect, and then DHS will go out and investigate Um, that concern and then they will make a finding as to whether or not that's founded or not Um, and then if DHS deems that there are safety issues that um, the family can't um, address with other supports um, then DHS will file a petition and um, they'll have a court hearing and that's typically how kids come into care and then we um, will get appointed. And there must be, the training that has to go in for for a CASA representative has to be pretty amazing. I mean, both in terms of legal knowledge, but also the emotional fortitude. Somebody's not, you're not walking into a calm situation. (laughs) Right. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of different reasons why CASAs might be put on a case or why a judge might deem a CASA to be necessary for the case. But... Um, So our CASAs get um, a baseline of about 32 hours of training on a variety of different issues on, you know, child welfare law, on, you know, the various subject areas that might touch that case in terms of domestic violence, mental health, trauma, attachment. Um, So CASAs get that training, but I think one of the most important aspects of of our program is that they are assigned um, a supervisor who has um, expertise in child welfare that really is their person that supports them, that gives them feedback, that helps kind of guide them through um, this the serpentine process of child welfare and, um, you know, is really with that CASA every step of the way. Um, you know, sometimes I think being a supervisor, it's it's also just supporting that CASA emotionally because, like you said, it can be it can be really difficult. It can be, um, I think, you know, one of the one of the things that we tell our CASAs is that you know you are a change agent, and we know you're coming into this work um, to change kids' lives. But one of the other flip sides of that is that this work changes you as a person. It changes the core of who you are, I think. You um, you know, when you're coming into a situation like, um, you know, our causes get exposed to and, you know, cases where there's su- extreme neglect or poverty, you know, those are situations that most of us in our daily lives are pretty buffered from. So it can get really difficult. Um, and so that's kind of why we have supervisors there to, you know, be their cheerleader and kind of help them get through those those rough spots so that they can keep the focus on the child. How much does CASA work with with the uh, the volunteers to coach them through what can be very traumatic, not just for the child, but for for the person who's representing and and, um, having to deal with that's that's uh, encountering this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just to kind of touch back on how you 
you know, once you go through an experience like this and you see things in a different light, I mean, I think when I was talking about the ways that it changes you, I think um, for a lot of the causes that we have, it, um, you know, it helps them cultivate empathy in a different way, maybe for situations that, um, and and just kind of seeing the nuances of things. So I I do think that that's one um, aspect of it. But I think in terms of how we work them through that, um, a lot of it is, I think, as a, you know, every supervisor is different, but a lot of that is, um, you know, reflective listening, just kind of, or even just playing devil's advocate sometimes, you know, sometimes calling, calling um, a volunteer out on maybe where they might have some blind spots or um, maybe, um, you know, testing their edges a little bit. I think that's another um, important aspect of what we do with our volunteers is just helping them to see things maybe from different perspectives. 20,000 children over the past 30 years? Yeah. That's yeah. a lot. It's astounding. It's You're, astounding. Yeah, I mean, that, that is that is a, a small city. That's a, a few small coastal Oregon cities worth of children. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's one of the things that we're really trying to address right now, just... Um, you know, the the statute in Oregon entitles every child, every child that comes in the dependency court um, to have a CASA, but we, um, that's what we social workers call an unfunded mandate. Um, so we are actually only able to serve about, in our program, we serve Multnomah County, Columbia County, and Washington County. Um, so we are the biggest CASA program in our state, but we're only able to serve about 30% of the kids that come into care. So there's um, a huge demand, and that obviously is, you know, part of the other aspect of what we do is recruitment and trying to, um, you know, spread the word about what we do at CASA and, you know, how we really make a difference in our community. Yeah, and and how is CASA funded? Is this through the county? Is this through grants? Is yeah, this through how- so I... My understanding is we have about 15 to 17% of our funding um, comes from the government, um, but then the rest of our funding is through private fundraising. So um, we have to do a lot of fundraisers throughout the year to, to support, I mean, all of that money goes to um, support our CASAs and train our CASAs to do what they do. That's a tall order. Yeah. <laughs> Georgia McGinnis-Roberts is a program manager for CASA and in, in, uh, recently merged three years ago, Multnomah, Washington, and Columbia counties. Right. Uh, you brought in a David Bowie song for us to listen to. Yeah, yeah. And is there a reason you picked this song besides <laughs> it's just a great song? Well, I mean, I, of course, I'm a, I'm a huge Bowie fan. Um, and I think my understanding historically of the song is it's more, I, I think, about um, lovers in Berlin. But I think the tagline, the chorus of the song, um, we could be heroes just for one day. Um, I think that that really speaks to what Akasa does in that we're asking everyday people um, to do extraordinary things. And there are some, some days where, um, you know, you really do get to see... Um, just an everyday person make a huge impact on not just maybe on that child's life and in their case but but in the system um, and that's something that I really appreciate as you know I've been a social worker for 20 years and you know you feel like you know everything and you've done everything but that's what's so inspiring about doing this work is seeing an everyday person 
um, do something so awesome. And I feel like I learn a lot from my volunteers um, and just seeing, um, you know, their courage and um, fighting for their kids in, in the various ways that they do. Let's take a listen.
That was, of course, the late, great David Bowie. This is Phil Bussey. It's the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm talking to Georgia McGinnis-Roberts, who's a program manager with CASA. Before we heard, we list, took our music break, uh, we were talking about how that you, you, you sort of dedicated that song <laughs> to the volunteers that work with CASA and that, that come into the court system to represent uh, children who are going through dependency uh, placements and cases. Why? Why do you see a common theme about why people step in to volunteer? This is this is difficult work. Uh, it can be, I mean, emotionally difficult work. It can be challenging work. What what is driving people to come to Casa? <laughs> well, you know, I I think a huge part of it is um, again they they want to be change agents and they really see the need for that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that has been heavily rotated in the news right now is, um, you know, our child welfare system in Oregon is really struggling. And there was a recent um, report by the Secretary of State's office that was very damning and critical of DHS's ability, um, you know, to serve um, kids in foster care. We're kind of in a crisis. And so I think... Um, a lot of people see that and they're like, how, what can I do? How can I, how can I make a difference? And so that, you know, th- things like that in the news are often an entry point for folks. Um, so I think that's, um, you know, one of the ways in which, you know, people are like, how can I make a difference? How can I, how can I come in here and um, help a child? Yeah, where where does Oregon or, or let's I guess let's focus really on on Washington, Multnomah, and Columbia counties. Where does that I, I don't even know if this is the right word, but rank within the country are are uh, is is this area struggling with dependency issues more than other places? Mm-hmm. Are are we doing well here? Well, and that's that's a hard question to answer. I mean, all three of our counties are so very different. I mean, I think one of the unique aspects of our program is we are an urban program, um, you know, within Multnomah County. Then we're also a suburban program in Washington County, and then we also serve a rural population. Um, I and I and I have heard different statistics, at least within um, Columbia County, that um, there the rate of children. Um, in Columbia County that actually come into care is one of the highest in the nation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different, I think, aspects into, you know, why children are coming into care and kind of the different ways and how we um, have to approach that need. And and if the counties are so different and have different needs, why, why did the three counties, why did the CASA in the three counties merge? Um, you know, I'm not really sure that I know the answer to that specifically. I think that number one, sometimes it's just it's easier rather than to have all of these different re, um, vying resources. It, it it often is easier just to kind of pool the resource. And so, um, you know, when Washington County and Multnomah County merged, I think that was in the mid '90s. Um, it was just you know mostly uh, a streamlined way to kind of approach collectively the needs within our community. Um, within Columbia County, who we added on a, a couple of years ago, their program was um, very small and they had basically one person that was raising money, one person that was supervising cases. 
um, one person that was doing recruitment. And so being able to, you know, kind of pool all of our resources with that and share that cost for overhead, I think, helps us to put the money to really focus on volunteers and, and recruitment and supporting our volunteers. In what other ways has CASA here changed over the decades? It's It's been, it's, it's almost 30 years old in this area. Mm-hmm. I've been at CASA for the last 10 years, um, which, you know, for social workers, that's like dog years. So I've been there for like 70 years. <laughs> um, but um, I think, you know, some of the changes that I've seen, at least within our focus, is we're really trying... Um, there are um, children of color are overrepresented in foster care. So um, one of the things that we are trying to address is 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 that factor. Um, and we are really looking to recruitment um, within the communities of color so that we have a much more diverse um, a diverse volunteer base um, to be able to address um, some of those needs. So, um, I think also there has been um, quite a bit of a shift. We used to always have cases that were younger children, um, children that were likely going to um, return or be adopted. Um, but one of the major aspects I think that we have shifted within the juvenile court system and also with our CASAs is um, we're really focusing also on teens and teens that are um, going to age out of foster care. Um, Those are uh, teens that are going to age out of foster care, obviously one of the most at-risk populations. And so we're really trying to focus on, you know, it used to always be permanency, permanency, get them back to their families or get them adopted. But there's a lot of kids that don't fit into that box and they're going to age out of foster care and have no skills or no one to support them. And so we're really focusing on training our volunteers to um, meet the needs of of those older kids um, and really be that supportive person to help them take that leap into adulthood. So. Georgia McGinnis-Roberts is a program manager for CASA. I appreciate you taking the time to come in and speak to us. And now, if somebody is inspired uh, to to become involved or to donate, uh, how do they go about uh, engaging with CASA more? So they can look on our website, which is www.casahelpskids.org. Um, you can learn a lot more about our um, organization. Um, we have several orientations that we offer within each county where you can learn more about what we do. Um, we also do have our, um, you can donate on online within um, the website. Um, we do also have our annual auction that's coming up. We also have various fundraisers, like we, have, we do a golf tournament, um, we do a bowling term, a, a bowling fundraiser that's really fun. So there's a lot of different ways um, that people can participate if they do want to donate or just learn more about volunteering. Thank you. Thank you. Special thanks to Porcano, Taqueria, Winderlea Vineyard and Winery, and Stormbreaker Brewing for supplying the meal for our last dinner with the local filmmaker. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. 
Our host is Phil Bussey. Our producer and editor is me, Rachel Miller-Howard. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.